Hey, Dan Silsley joins us today, author of Misquoted. Evan makes a game out of the book, and uh, we'll see how that goes. This is talking about all these evangelicals and how they misuse the Bible to give us false doctrine. This is a great interview. Uh, thanks for downloading Table Talk Radio. Here's the show. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. <laughs> so, uh, you guys put mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song. That would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word. Pastors, keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. The show where the quality increases exponentially when we have a guest. This is Table Talk Radio. Man, oh man, you know how dangerous that is? What having Just a guest setting up expectations? Like oh, that's that? true. Uh, well, I'm confident though our guest can deliver. We are right. talking on the line with Pastor Dan Silsley. He's a pastor of Wittenberg Lutheran Chapel at the University of North Dakota in Grand Forks, and he's also author of the book called Misquoted: Rethinking Commonly Misused Bible Verses. Dan, welcome to the show. Hello. You know, Evan, I used to consider you a friend, uh, but. Friends don't let friends go on Table Talk Radio. So. That's, That's right. Exposing someone's shame. <laughs> That's true. We're going to record this show, and then if you you know if it's released, if you're listening to, to the show, by the way, you know that Dan didn't pay the bread money. <laughs> That's right. It's holding him ransom. a check, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. A sanity check. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna play a game with your book, but first we have to dive into buzzwords. So we'll let our uh, guests go first. Pastor Silsley, what's your buzzword for us? My buzzword for you is hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, Herm which is a big fancy word for uh, the the study or the um, the philosophy behind the interpretation of texts. Hermeneutics. That is fancy. That is fancy. Um, we'll probably get in a little bit of that with you with your book here, uh, talking about. Uh, Verses that are misquoted all the time. Yeah, and I like to hear uh, what got you into reading to writing this book, rather. Um, so, but first, uh, Pastor Wolfender, what's your buzzword? My buzzword for you is martyr. It's because I wrote a new book. <laughs> hey, uh, it's a children's book. We decided it's called uh, "And Take They Our Life: Martin Luther's Theology of Martyrdom for Children," a coloring book. Oh, excellent! Yeah, bring extra red book. crayons. <laughs> ah ha ha. It's not a cult. It's not maybe not for the kids. The, the, it, I, I don't tell that many stories though. But it, I, so okay, accidentally wrote this book because I was I was writing an essay on on Luther's theology of the martyrs for pastors for doxology, and so I just started writing this essay. It's supposed to be like seven thousand words or something, and I stopped writing. and It was like forty two thousand. So I, oh boy. So so Tim Pauls took that. Can you? Believe, he took the forty two thousand and cut it down to three thousand or something. The wow. best 3,000. And that was an article. But then I took the whole big mess and published it as a book. And you can buy it on Amazon. Or you can get it for free. 
I forgot to say get it on the email that I sent out. But anyway, if you go to wolfmuller.co slash life, L-I-F-E. Nice. You can find it there, and you can order it and download it. Okay, so, and it's uh, Luther's Theology of the Martyrs. Surprised, surprising to know that Luther talked a ton about the martyrs, including this line. Luther says that in our time, and he's talking about the martyrs of the Reformation, in our time, the true pattern of the Christian life has reemerged. Now, that's an amazing thing to me, that that the true pattern of the Christian life would be the pattern of martyrdom. But so it is. So to martyr means to witness, and when you were in in ancient Rome, if you were a witness to the fact that Jesus is Lord, then you'd get killed for it. So that's why we think of the martyrs as those who gave their life for the faith. Do you think I could get you to autograph my Kindle copy? Oh, yeah. Right across with a huge marker. <laughs> my theological buzzword for you, uh, the both of you, you plural, uh, is Sadie's Doctrine. Uh, which is Latin for the seed of doctrine. Now, this is the idea that when we talk about doctrine, do we have a game on this where we have to name that Sadie's Doctrine? I think so. I forgot um, about that, but I think I think that's the case. Where if we talk about a doctrine, there, sh- there should be actually Bible passages that support that doctrine. That makes sense, doesn't it, that a, a teaching of Christianity would be grounded in the scriptures, but the question is what scripture text do we use to support that doctrine? That's known as the seat of doctrine. There you go. Weird. Okay, so the book is called Misquoted Rethinking Commonly Misused Bible Verses, and uh, Pastor Silsley, tell us a little bit about why you set out to write this book. I mean, are people quoting the Bible incorrectly? (laughs) (laughs) Not very often. No, no, no. Uh, What? (laughs) I, I kind of wrote it on accident too. Uh, it it started as a Bible study actually in my. I, I used to be out in the Great Pacific Northwest in Eugene, Oregon, before moving to the frozen tundras of the north. You know, and uh, in the church that I served, the the uh, a lot of the members were asking about things they would hear on television or in a greeting card or whatever, uh, using a Bible verse to teach something, you know. And uh, and so I kind of took the most common ones that I was hearing from, from them, and uh, we started doing a Bible study on these things. And um, and one of the members of the church at the time happened to be an editor for the local publishing house there, and uh, she thought this might be a good book to write, so they asked if I would write it, and, and there we go. I'm glad you don't run into those kinds of things in North Dakota. Those days are behind you, right? All right. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how this is going to work is I'm going to read the uh, chapter title, and Pastor Wolfmuller has to guess what proof text is being misquoted uh, based this on This is going to be so easy. Oh, yeah. Easy, easy. So um, the first one— Hey, Evan, do you remember when you and I were sitting in Madagascar with yeah. Pless, yeah. and we outlined this exact book? Uh, correction, it was with Christopher Hole. Oh, Chris Hole and Professor Pless. <laughs> yeah. That's Chris Hole, Professor Pless, you and I, we sitting on the patio. Chris Hole was there, Pastor Hole was there eating uh, palm frit the whole time. And, uh, <laughs> and remember how he wouldn't eat any food from Madagascar? He was just eating like the canned peaches that his wife packed him That's the right. whole time. That's he probably right. lost like 40 pounds. That's right. And we outlined this precise book. I, I just got to go back to my we notes. We compare notes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. We, well, we beat you to the punch, Dan, but you have connections. So <laughs> That's right. It's about who you know. Really. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the, the, the title head is this. 
God loves you just the way you are. All right, now, based uh, upon that, Pastor Wolf, from there, wow. what Bible verse do you think that is using? God loves you just the way you are. This is, a, I mean, you know, this is from the famous hymn, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, made, made particularly famous by the Billy Graham crusade. Remember the Billy Graham? Who would say, uh, you know, just as I am, you got to come down and accept Jesus as, as your Lord and Savior. And there's this idea in evangelicalism that, um, well, it's kind of, and, and this is kind of past Billy Graham, there's this sort of, there's no need for repentance. You know, we're broken, but we're accepted. So the, the idea that God accepts us just as we are in our brokenness and everything, this is a big theme now. Uh, what ver Bible verse would be misused to teach that, though? God loves us just the way we are. Uh, 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 mm, I'm going to guess. Uh, mm, mm, it could be John 3.16. I'm going to guess John 3.17. Oh, no. God did not send his w son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's going to be my guess. You were looking for First John 4.8, which says, do you know that passage? Uh, God is love. That's it. That's it. <laughs> now, I, what I thought was great here, Dan, was that you uh, bring out these uh, different kinds of love that are sometimes considered when we think God is love. And the first one you describe is God is the hopeless romantic. What do you mean? Yeah, well, the, the idea of God's love basically being no different from, um, you know, human emotional love for for other people. So, so I think you guys do the praise song cruncher thing, right? Where what? That's can... rude. No way. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it's helpful. You know, you, uh, if you can re if you can replace Jesus with you know the the name of your boyfriend or girlfriend, and the song still works, then it's it's uh, it's it's a, an understanding of God's love as Him being a hopeless romantic. So that love in this way of thinking is not sort of a category. Uh, God's love is not a different category from our love, but it's just uh, sort of the same kind of love, just a lot of it, you know. Um, so God loved the world a whole bunch more than we would, and so he sent his son. When in fact, God's love is, is of a different sort, you know, it's more objective. So God loved the world like this, and this is how God is love, that he sent Christ. So what about, what about this idea of love, that God is love like the hard-nosed father? We have about uh, about a minute here, Dan. Oh yeah, so God God is like the tough the uh, the father who's really tough on his kids, and it's because he loves them, and so uh, and so you're always trying to earn this love of of God. Um, so you are always, always trying to please God so that He will love you more. You know, so it's this sort of rat wheel uh, works based earning and deserving of God's love, like a hard nosed father. Ah, that's good. And then when we get back from this break, I want to hear about this last one, that uh, God's love is like the proud grandparent. <laughs> Those categories were fantastic. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll hear from that. And then I want to throw some more title uh, chapter titles to Pastor Wolfner, because this is fun, watching him flounder around. Hey! Trying to <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no score yet. No, the, the scoreboard is empty at this point. We're going to try and get some buzzwords in here, too. So, but the book is called Misquoted by Dan Silsley, Rethinking Commonly Misused Bible Verses. We're talking more about the book right after this. And don't forget to call us with your comments or questions, 1-800-385-SOLA. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
not really one of the best decisions you've made today. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. Man, I like this bump. Oh, boy. I can tell. <laughs> Woo! That's my favorite part. <laughs> Woo! All right, Pastor Silsley. I've always, I wanted to be a, in a band. And I wanted to be the woo guy. That's just the only, only thing you do? Yeah. I'm just background. Woo! You can maybe play the egg or the tambourine. Maybe that's just, since we have a guest, maybe that's what I can do on this show. <laughs> you just All right, you guys get after woo. it. I'll just, I'll just right. be the woo with the background. <laughs> All right. Uh, Pastor Susan, we're talking idea. about this uh, idea that God is love, in, 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 not in its biblical sense, but in um, some... Uh, false senses. You talk about the hopeless romantic or God as the hard-nosed father. What do you mean by God as the proud grandparent? Yeah, God, the proud grandparent who uh, looks upon, uh, well, like the proud grandparent would look upon their grandchildren and just think, oh, they can do no wrong. Um, I'm just so proud no matter what they do. And if they mess up a little bit, well, yeah, that everybody does that. And so there's this kind of minimizing of sin so that love is seen in that view as like ignoring sin or minimizing it, not treating it as the serious thing that it is. Uh, and therefore, the proclamation in the face of sin, the solution for it is very different as well. Uh, and so all three of these different ways Woo! of viewing God's love. Are- <laughs> All right, so so tell tell us how we should rightly understand John First John four eight God is love. Well, in any of the texts that deal with God's love um, throughout the scriptures, there's always an objective sense to them. So it's not just sort of how I sense God might be loving me or the world, but there's always a shape and a form to to God's love, and that shape is the cross of Christ. So when God is uh, when the scriptures are talking about God's love. Um, they're always pointing us to Christ. So so God loved the world like this, that he gave his one and only son, um, uh, that uh, God loved the world by sending Christ to die for his enemies, you know, Romans Woo! 5. Um, yeah, it, 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 I, I don't even know. It's kind of like, you're like a babysitter, Evan. Is that what this is like? <laughs> you know, I was going to tell Brian... I have that on this Woo! voice track I can put in in post-production, so you don't have to really do anything now. It's fine. Oh, that's nice. I'll, put that I'll take a note. That's good. Uh, okay, so I, I want to move on then. Um, let's, let's pass her. I think give it a shot at this one. The title okay. of this chapter is God is Proud to be an American. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> God is Proud to be an American. This is a There is a nationalism to... American uh, evangelicalism, which does, and so how it, what it does is it takes the promises that God gave to national Israel and just applies it to, um, and applies it to our own nation. So, so you get this thing like, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for prosperity and plans for peace. But I think this is going to be the one uh, that's oft quoted says, if if my nation, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and and uh, pray, and I would hear their prayers, and I would heal their land. 
I think that's the text. That's, that's me, it. I can't remember. It's like what Second Chronicles or something. Yeah, you got it. Second Chronicles seven fourteen, and you and you quoted it uh, rather well. Baby. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I by the, I by the way, just to make this fair, I think Dan should get points when I miss. Okay, yeah, that's good. So two hundred, two hundred. I like that. Uh, boy, if I knew we were going to be doing this, guy. we would have got some. Uh, we got some listeners uh, behind this to 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 reap the benefits. I thought we ran out. It's we're kinda, we playing for kinda... listeners, but we did that like twice. <laughs> yeah. They kind of get the spoil of the of the disaster here. But um, all right, so Pastor Silsley, uh, uh, what's behind this kind of idea that all of the references to nation in the Old Testament are now applied to America? Is it just plain old? narcissism that we are applying this about us, or is there something more? Uh, there probably is a, a lot of that, yeah. I, I think I think a lot of it is that people just don't know how to read the Bible in its own context, you know? So when one of the things I tell people when we're studying the Scriptures is we have to ask, when we come across a pronoun, for example, um, who is that pronoun referring to? Um, and and in this text, I mean, like when God says, "My nation, and I will heal them their uh, sins," or "I will, I will," uh, have to have it in front of me. Uh, I will, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The there is uh, ancient Israel, so uh, we would say this actually doesn't even apply to um, to mo- any modern day nation. You know that this is. Uh, a promise God gave uh, to ancient Israel and has been fulfilled ultimately in Christ. And and so we can't just willy-nilly take these texts. I mean, Brian brought up Jeremiah 29, 11. That's another one where you just kind of take this text and apply it to the modern uh, nation of America, and it just doesn't work that way. So, so we need some just basic principles of hermeneutics, too, just to understand how these texts are functioning and how to understand them properly. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I'm wondering, would you say that this is the uh, Cetus Doctrine of of American uh, Christianity? Woo. I caught that. I caught that. Oh. <laughs> I, although, I also caught you using your own buzzword, which you get no points for. Hey, right. does, does that count? I don't know. Oh, no, yeah. no. You're, t- you're totally <laughs> ignorant of the rules. <laughs> But I will, I will yeah, award you, weren't, you. You weren't free to share them either, I see. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Details. All right, I'm going to give you uh, 50 points for using my buzzword. <laughs> um, Man. Okay, so, uh, but but this is this is the theme that runs throughout your entire book, and that is when I read a Bible passage, the first question that people often ask themselves is, how is this talking about me? Uh, rather than how is this, I don't know, pointing us to Christ, for example. Well, yeah, and Jesus himself gives us the way to read the Bible. I mean, if we read his own words about what the Old Testament was all about, and the Psalms, uh, I mean, the books of Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, Jesus says they're all pointing to himself. And so if our Lord says that this is what the Old Testament is about, then when we encounter the Old Testament and read it and study it and meditate upon it, um, then we should be asking the question our Lord tells us to ask, which is, where is he in all of this, right? So he is the fulfillment of it all. He He is there, and so that's who we should be looking for. Well, the score is 250 to 200. 
Uh, Brian, you ready Who for Who got the 250? Who's got the 50 points? He got 200 for you missing round one and 50 for using my buzzword. Wow. Thanks for paying attention. Okay. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's this one, Pastor Wolf. I think you'll get it. All right. It is everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason um, is... Now, this is actually... It's probably true. Well, it is true. I mean, everything... There's a reason... Uh, and a purpose to everything, both a cause and a result in the Lord's de- determining of things. But th- there is a, there's two ways to go wrong with this. Number one is is that you kind of philosophically fall into determinism, or number two, y- you fall into philosophy rather than into theology. So theology has its end for our comfort. Philosophy ends in despair. And so this idea that everything happens for a reason can become sort of a philosophical idea. And when we bring it to people to comfort them, it doesn't comfort because it's, again, philosophy, not theology. So, uh, but I, but you know, the, the scripture that I think is closest to that would be the Romans 8 text, which says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And then it goes on to say those whom he uh, what what is this? Those whom he uh, he ca- chose, he also called. Those who he called, he also justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified, and so forth. So that's going to be my guess. What is Romans eight? You got it. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Uh, all right, Dan. So what do you what uh, what direction are you working against on how this one is often misquoted? Well, there have been times in pastoral care where people will be going through some kind of suffering, and and as they sort of encounter and try to work through this suffering, there's this. I've noticed a sense of um, of uh, it's kind of like a mantra. Like I can get through this suffering as long as I just keep on keeping on, sort of thing. Uh, because if I just keep on loving God really, really hard, uh, then all things will get better is how they understand this text. Um, so all things work to, to good for those who love God. And so if I want things to work out for good, I need to love God. Now, I suppose there is a sense in which we might understand that to be true, but, um, but it doesn't actually bring, like Brian was saying, it doesn't actually bring comfort in the face of suffering. And in the context of Romans 8, Paul is uh, dealing with the, the groaning of the creation. So the creation is under this weight of sin since Adam and Eve, and it's in the pains of childbirth, and we experience this groaning as uh, sinful people on this uh, broken planet. And, uh, and so, um, so Paul there is talking about the, the groaning and the seriousness of this, but it's all pushing towards something, and that something is not sort of just a better temporal existence, but the, the recreation of all things, the, the undoing of sin and all of its terrible effects on this creation. And so when Paul says that all things will work to good, eventually that will happen um, in Christ's return on the last day, and we get a preview of that in his death and resurrection. So it's not kind of a mantra to get us through hard times. It's a promise uh, that Christ will make, make good on what he has said. Is that why it's working together for good for those who are called according to his purpose? Because the last day isn't so good for those uh, who reject his promises and reject Christ. Yeah, exactly right. 
All right, well said. Well, Woo! the scoreboard is 400 <laughs> passer Wolfram. They're in the lead to Dan Silsley's 250. Wow. We're going to try wow. to throw some harder ones at Pastor Wolfram there, I think, right after this break. We're looking at the book, Misquoted, Rethinking, Commonly Misused Bible Verses. We'll be right back. Listening to Table Talk Radio. Get the Around the Word devotions delivered to you in a free daily email. You can f- sign up for that at whatdoesthismean.org. Click the devotions button. Ah. Oh no, that's ah. going to be his next sound effect. All right. Um, ah, I guess we'll just keep going. We're looking at the book misquoted, and uh, Pastor, I have another one for you. A chance to uh, extend your lead 400 to 250, and the title to this chapter is Don't Be a Hater. And I'll go ahead and give you a hint. It's not Taylor Swift. Uh, I, I thought, I, you know that song that the, ta- the T-Swivel wrote? Yeah. So see how I said T Swivel? Yeah, you're very. Is hip. that actually her nickname? I think that's kind of cool. You're very hip. Did I just invent that, or did I know that? I don't know. Either way, it's cool. It's hard to separate the two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that song that she uh, that she did that said, um, "Oh yeah, haters gonna hate." I'm not even thinking about that song. I'm thinking about the more recent song that she said where she talks about how people are in are are on Twitter giving her grief at 9 a.m. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool song. Just mind your own business. And then she goes on to the people protesting the the Pride March. I'm oh, like, oh come yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Remember that song? Did we do that song on this show? Maybe. Maybe I that's why I did. know it. That's why. That's how I learned all the cool songs. On <laughs> that's our show. right. We we are your connection to pop culture here so, on Table uh, So this is what is the thing again? What's a chapter? Don't called? be a hater. I know all about this because this is the what we identify as the Sadie's doctrine of American Christianity, and it is. Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, do not judge, lest you be judged. So that is the main, that is the, if anybody, it's an amazing sort of thing if you say, hey, what Bible verse does everyone eighteen who's 18 years old know? I mean, they might not know that, like, God created the world or, like, that Jesus is Jesus, or they might not, they might have never even heard of Moses. But they know the Bible says, do not judge, lest you be judged. So I think that's going to be the verse there. It's what it's from Matthew chapter. Is I think it's Matthew six, uh, might be five or seven. Right in there, seven. Yeah, Matthew seven one. Judge not that you be not judged. So this is I think Pastor Silsley oftentimes put forward as you can't tell me I'm doing anything wrong because go read the Sermon on the Mount. Is that is that what you're working against on this one? Yeah. So we don't we don't want to say anything that might sound judgmental or criticize or call into question someone's way of living or way of viewing the world. Um, anything judgmental is seen as bad and makes people uncomfortable, and so we should avoid it at all costs. It's, and it's, it's basically a, a, um, it's a contract. So if you don't judge me, then I won't judge you, and we can kind of do whatever we want and, and live non-judgmentally, you know. And it, that, of course, only goes so far. But and then it, it, it helps that Jesus did say this, judge not lest you be judged. But uh, what's missing is one of the most important hermeneutical rules, which is context. Uh, 
is is something we really have to look at. So, um, so if you keep reading in in Matthew seven, there Jesus certainly does say that we do need to judge, uh, but that there's a way to go about it, and that's what he's actually getting at. Um, so he's not making this blanket prohibition that we should never ever judge anything ever, um, but rather that when we do go about judging, there's a way to a way to do it. There seems to be two contradictions in in that assertion of uh, of do not judge me, um, because if if you're telling me to do that, that is in some way at least a judgment. So it's a bit self refuting. But as you mentioned too, that this just has limits. So to to what extent are you saying that we shouldn't judge one another? I mean, to to the extent of I if I kill a guy, hey, who are you to tell me I can't kill a guy? That's right. You know, it, yeah. this only applies to the sixth commandment and the third commandment. Do you, have you never noticed that? Like nobody maybe, ever says, maybe like nobody's age. out there murdering everyone saying, hey, don't judge me. Or like stealing people's cars and like, hey, don't judge me. Yeah, yeah. It's the first table and the sixth commandment, and especially this, the sixth commandment. That's the thing. It's sixth commandment. Mm-hmm. So for whatever reason, I don't know, the sixth commandment is a place that, that uh, the devil sneaks in on this whole on this whole thing. So. Hmm. Don't judge me. And, and also, this exposes... Oh, remember this thing? Oh, wait. I was just supposed to be hooting. Sorry. It's, let me it's okay. We'll, put we'll, it we'll, allow, we'll allow what, this one comment. The um, Remember this idea that man is self-justifying? I mean, this, this basic... Our basic understanding of humanity is that we are self-justifying beasts. That's what we do. And this, this fits in with that. Because if I'm busy trying to make the case of my own righteousness then the last thing I need is you coming in, you know, mm. wrecking my what is wrecking my groove. What mm. is that from the Emperor's New Groove? Remember that pop culture reference from the 80s cartoon? <laughs> uh, where he says, you threw off my groove. This is Here we are just dancing to the groove of our own self-justification. And then you come in and judge me, and you throw me off my groove. So there's that's why the, the one thing that you cannot do is prevent is present to someone any evidence— that contradicts their argument that they are righteous. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. So, um, I mean, think of it this way: if if I find my righteousness in Christ, who covers over sin, like that's that's Jesus's business. I got a bunch of righteousness from my perfect obedience on earth, and I'm here to give it exclusively to sinners. And then come, someone comes along and says, "Hey, you're a sinner." You'd be like, "Whoo." Good thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? But if you're like, no, 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 I'm perfect. Look, I've, I've done everything right my entire life, and someone comes along and says, you're a sinner, you're done for. That's it. You're over. Well, that's why the yeah. claim itself, I mean, the appeal to judge not in and of itself is uh, exposing guilt and, and self-righteousness. You know, if if God's law comes along and exposes my sin— if I have the Spirit of God, I rejoice and I say, Lord, have mercy upon me, right? But if I, if, if I give into my flesh, I'm going to say, no, 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 you can't judge me. And it's, it's the attempt to self-justify. So in other words, if, if, uh, if I just came along and said something that was not a matter of morals at all, if I just said, hey, that, that's a nice, nice coat you have there, a person wouldn't respond, hey, don't judge me. <laughs> but but the moment you step into the realm of morals, right and wrong, all of a sudden you resort to this passage, do not judge. It, it's uh, The very fact that it comes up is self-condemning. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so let's go do another one here. Pastor Wolf from there. This one is called, the chapter is titled... Hey, wait, what about points on that? What do you want? I gave you points already, 600. What am I up to? You're 600? throwing him slow balls. <laughs> I know. Yeah, give me the hard ones. I was trying to pick ones that I thought would be interesting to talk about. Okay, but, forget uh... interest, man. We're all about the games. <laughs> Why do you care so much about our listener? Okay, here's here's the chapter. If they've stuck in this long, they've obviously fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the title this is... The show is now for us. You're a pretty big deal around here. Oh, this this uh, uh, this fits into the whole kind of me-centered business. There's a, there is a... a, a so the problem with American Christianity, number one, uh, when it comes to the doctrine of humanity and our will, number one, that the will is free to choose Christ and so forth, but number two, that the will is open to manipulation, which are two different but very... When you combine that together, then that what that means is that um, that the whole deal of American Christianity is centered around the basically the idea that the customer is always right. So you, the theological, the, the Christian consumer, have to be catered to. You're a pretty big deal around here. Uh, now this is the problem with this, by the way, with refuting this is in some ways we have these beautiful texts in the scripture where Jesus says, look, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He takes, Jesus takes it around. He, 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 he wraps himself with a towel and washes our feet. He, he comes and, uh, and serves us, which is astonishing. But the problem with the theology, the me first theology is that we hear all of these great passages about Jesus serving us and it doesn't strike us as stunning we're like oh yeah of course I'm a big deal that's what God should do serve me it's crazy it's crazy so we got to have the law first to realize that everything that the Lord does is completely undeserved and then we're overwhelmed with his love and his mercy uh, so we don't want to start with your pretty big deal around here this reminds me of the the spiritual laws that say God loves you God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life um, I might so maybe I'll go with that text that's used to support that that um, that text from Jeremiah that says uh, how does it go it says uh, 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 I know the plans that I have for you says the Lord plans to prosper you and so forth I, let me go with that Jeremiah text because I otherwise don't know sorry Dan I, I'm not He's doing cheating it. He is cheating <laughs> yeah, obviously all right you're right Jeremiah twenty nine hey, eleven. Really? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Wow. Um, now, this is this is clearly being spoken of Jeremiah. Uh, why can't this be applied to me as the reader of Jeremiah, Pastor Sosling? Well, because the context clearly says that it's not written to you. It, this, this, is, um, this is containing a letter written to... Uh, ancient Israel, and um, and the the um, addresses of the letter are, are all laid out. If you go and read the context of Jeremiah 29, it's all laid out. And if you are not part of that list to that to whom that letter is written, uh, that letter is not for you. And none of us are part of that list. And so this is clearly not um, uh, God talking to us in the 21st century. This is God talking to His people of old, um, and and we actually do see him keeping this promise. It's a promise to bring them back out of exile and, and give them the land that they promised uh, before. Um, but but the hard, you know, I think the scary thing about this me-centered theology, especially this purpose and plan theology, is that it actually starts asking people to look for God where he has never promised to be. 
And so, you know, they're told that, that God has this amazing plan and purpose for their life. Look, Jeremiah says so. The problem is that he's never let us in on it, right? <laughs> and so and so now we have to go searching for it to try to figure it out. And we start making up things that God is saying to us and then burdening our consciences with it all, you know. Um, it's truly terrible. Yeah, well. Good point. I want to I want to press a little bit further on the other side of this break. We need to take one more break. Last segment of Cable Talk Radio coming up right after this. The book is called Misquoted: Rethinking Commonly Misused Bible Verses. We're right back. Table Talk Radio. It's incredible how well our good looks translate to radio. I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it, the Everyone's Luther, at wolfmuller.co. Click on the books at the top of the page. <laughs> that sounded good. All right, in the book, Misquoted, Thanks. Rethinking Commonly Misused Bible Verses by Dan Silsley. Uh, Dan, before the break, you were talking about this passage from Jeremiah 29, 11, that I, I uh, know the plans I have for you. Now, you were, you were saying that this applies to Jeremiah and has not been directly promised to us, but I want you to answer this question. Then does Jeremiah have any application for Christians today? Well, when we... I mean, like we were saying before, when we read the Old Testament and the prophets, we read them as Christ would have us read them. So we look for where Jesus is. And so I would say, yes, Jeremiah 29 does uh, give us comfort um, because we see God keeping his promise, if I could put it that way. So um, when we read Jeremiah 29, 11, we read about these people who were put into exile because of their sin and their uh, disobedience. Um, and yet, while they're in exile, God sends this letter and says, uh, hey, while you're in Babylon, make yourselves at home, because it's going to be a while. Um, you know, plant gardens, build houses, marry, have children. Uh, but it's not going to last forever. I, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. And eventually... Um, he brings them back out of exile um, and, and brings them back to the promised land. They rebuild the temple, um, and worship starts at the temple again. Um, but all of this, you see, is pointing to Jesus, uh, because eventually, even after they come back from exile, uh, things go south again, and they get dispersed, and now they're just waiting, again, for God to keep his promise of a Messiah. And, um, and that happens, Galatians 4, when the time had finally come, God sent his son uh, to be born of a woman born under the law. So, so what we see in Jeremiah is God keeping his promise, uh, keeping his plan of salvation, if I could put it that way, even despite his people. Yeah, well said. All right, Brian, even though you're an expert in mysticism, um, I don't think you're going to get this next one. But it is. Woo! The title is— You're giving him clues? Come on. Well, it's kind of in the title. All right, it's uh, God Speaks to You in Whispers. Well, okay, okay, this is easy. Okay. Okay, hold on. Maybe there's not so easy. Okay, my, my, my theological imagination immediately went to the text where the Lord puts Ezekiel in the mountain, and he causes the thunder to go by, and then the whirlwind to go by, and he wasn't in the whirlwind, and, what, and then he was in the still, small voice. 
And so, so that's, that's, that, that's, uh, that, that, except for that's not Ezekiel. That's what we call Elijah. Uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's Elijah that's there. That's what we call him today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the, so, okay. So, so that's the one that, but you said this was a, a trickier one. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of just imagine real quick the whole rest of the Bible to see other still small voice, still small voice. Uh, no, I think that's got to be it. He's not in the world. He spoke, he came, the Lord came not in the whirlwind, the fire, the tempest and everything. He came in the still small voice when he came, when he comes to the prophet Elijah. And that's, I don't know that. What is that? Um, it's got to be the end of the, the, the Elijah's the prophet of the of the north. So that's probably in First Kings would be my guess. Well, I was looking forward to deducting a Ezekiel deduction, but you got it right. You corrected yourself. It is First Kings chapter nineteen in the very account you described. You're doing better than I thought. I gotta say, really? Yeah. You, you could. Did you forget that I did? I have a copy of the Bible hanging around over here. <laughs> All right, all right. Am I normally so such a numbskull that you think that I, I, I had never read the Bible? I guess I'm used to Bible B. That's what I'm used to. So yeah, yeah. This, but you know, the thing is, where, I used to know about all about these evangelicals. Where is Esther misquoted? That's what I need to find. All right, Pastor um, <laughs> 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 Why can't we take this passage from First Kings to know that God speaks to us in whispers? Are you asking me? Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, he's tired I, I of hearing from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hadn't heard a woo in a while, so woo. Thank you. Uh, I I use this passage to introduce a, a bigger idea of how God speaks to us, according to much of American Christianity, um, that God speaks in these either these still small voices or in like circumstances that I have to interpret or feelings or intuitions. And I have to say, this is the one chapter of the book that I've gotten the most questions and criticism mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. Uh, because mm-hmm. it really is challenging one of the core uh, doctrines, one of the CD's doctrinae of, of He's American He's all about that word. Yeah. I don't think you get, you don't get credit twice, though. You can't. Yeah, so, once it's done, it's done. It's like wait, what? <laughs> Sorry. You like can't get multiple these rules as we go. <laughs> no, no, these are long established table talk radio rules. Oh, it's my. in the it's in the midrash. <laughs> I, I no. feel like a martyr right now. <laughs> oh no, you that. Okay, uh, all right. We'll give you another fifty <laughs> points. Now, what you said something really interesting though is that 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 this is embedded into evangelical theology, like like um, as as tightly as we hold to sola scriptura so the evangelical holds to god speaks in whispers is that what you're saying absolutely it's it's uh what what underlies the whole thing is actually the denial of sola scriptura i mean so so the bible really is not enough hmm. um i i have the scriptures and that's fine but i need something more from god um, and most people aren't going to put it that way because that's a pretty blunt way to put it. Like, hey, God, what you gave wasn't enough. I need something more. But that really is what it amounts to. Um, and yet, all throughout the scriptures, um, we are we are given that the scriptures are enough. They are sufficient uh, for what we need. Um, but but yeah, we as you were talking about before, the mysticism of our sinful flesh. We just keep wanting more that God hasn't promised. What do you what do you think's behind that, Brian? Is it is it 
kind of this um, this mysticism that just goes unchecked in um, evangelicalism a lot, or is there something else going on? Is it yeah, lack of sacraments, co- maybe? Yeah, so you got five or six things. I mean, you can talk about, the, I mean, all the strains that go into it. I mean, this one, it's all about me, is the, the well, that's one of the problems. So I need an individualized revelation. It's not enough for God to speak to the world. He has to speak to me individually. So there's a there's a pride there. You, um, The Lord does deal with us individually through the sacraments. So when the word is preached, it goes out to everybody. But when we're baptized, it comes to us as individuals. But they don't have that. You know, baptism is their own work. So in the absence, in the vacuum of the sacraments, you get this want of the Lord dealing with us individually. So it's brought onto the inside. Uh, You also have this idea that, you know, God has a plan for my life. Like, there's this danger that, like, every step is, the Lord has a perfect step for me to take. There's no freedom that the Lord has given us towards the future. So you have this great reversal of freedom, right? Uh, We understand that the Lord has given us freedom on how to live this life, but he's given us, he hasn't, we're not free when it comes to our life of faith, but the evangelicals have reversed that. So we're free to choose Christ, but we're not free to choose our vocation. So that's all messed up in, in the evangelical mind. So there's a lot of things that get sort of sharpened into that idea and and it and uh, and dan is right this becomes the 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 sort of cornerstone of evangelical piety that that i'm wait i'm listening for god so the idea of the quiet time and and the idea of the relationship and the two-way conversation and everything so i'm speaking and then now i'm listening and 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 it becomes a mark of christian maturity even a, a mark of the assurance of my salvation that god is dealing with me directly it's it's really and so it's hard to come against that idea because like dance I get you know, I get a bunch of grief about that as well. I all constantly people are saying, "Well, don't doesn't God direct us? Doesn't doesn't God uh show, show us what to do next and things like this?" And so it's it's striking at a at a deep chord in in kind of the spiritual construct of of, of Americans. You two are just judgmental haters, I think is what. I don't I don't get that criticism all the time either. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> All right, we probably have time for one more. Woo! <laughs> and it's this: Christ is your co-pilot. Oh, this is, comes from the song "Jesus Take the Wheel." Remember that? <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Or my favorite version. Remember the Tim Hawkins version of it? Cletus, take the reel. <laughs> have you have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a cramp in my upper side. <laughs> All right, we have a, we have about a minute here, so you need to guess. Okay, so it. Jesus is my co-pilot. Um, ah, what verse would this be? Uh, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. The Lord uh, direct. The Lord will direct our steps. Uh, this is uh, pro- Prover- Proverbs three five. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Uh, so that will give Dan another two hundred points. But uh, this is actually coming from Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ oh, who strengthens man. me. Oh. All right. Again, it's just about uh, 45 seconds, Dan. Uh, talk about how this verse is commonly misused. Uh, it's always on the gym room wall, right, with barbells <laughs> hanging around. Like, yeah, yeah. I can, I can get my biceps big with, with Jesus, um, or I can do whatever I set my mind to. Jesus is right there with me. He's my co-pilot, you know. Um, unfortunately, again, in the context, Paul is, is talking about hardships. So he's talking about what it's like to be hungry and naked and, and uh, suffering. And then in the context of that, he says, I can do all things through Christ who 
gives me strength. Um, so it's not about accomplishing our dreams and having Jesus help us with that. It's about having Jesus sustain us even in the pit of suffering. Yeah. Well, Dan, I appreciate you writing this book. Again, one more time for the listeners, Misquoted, Rethinking Commonly Misused Bible Verses by Dan Silsley. Dan, thanks for coming on. Woo! Thank you. <laughs> thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Woo! That's it, huh? Just a woo? Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Woo! Talk Radio. I think Table Dan Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.